Welcome to Off the Record with James Bell, a legal podcast where we listen to stories that go beyond the courtroom. This podcast is a production of the Indianapolis Bar Association. Now here's your host, James Bell. Greetings and welcome to the second episode of Off the Record, a legal podcast from the Indianapolis Bar Association. My name is James Bell and there has been a slight change in our lineup and our guest today is Jim Reed, a divorce lawyer, a family lawyer, a relationship transition lawyer who works in Indianapolis. He works for the law firm of Bingham Greenbaum Dahl, which I can attest is a great firm filled with great people. Jim has been involved in divorce cases with some of the largest marital states in Indiana, and I will tell you that you have heard of his clients, but you will never hear him mention them, even if you are his law partner. In this podcast, Jim talks about farming, hairdos, food, how the practice of law has changed over the years, what he learned from his mentor, Jim Buck, and importantly, how to handle clients and how to transition relationships. Hopefully at this point, my producer, Mary Kay, is sprinkling in some transition music. And now, here is Jim Reed, Off the Record. Jim Reed, welcome to Off the Record. That's what we're calling it. Thank goodness it's Off the Record. Yes, it's Off the Record. So Jim is a lawyer, Bingham Greenbaum Dahl. How would you describe what you do? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, You know, I hate to be put in any kind of box. Of course you do. So that kind of a question asked me to put myself in a box, and I'm very sensitive about that. Do you I'm like a sensitive labels? person. You are that now. That is actually I not am true. A sensitive person. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Well, my general category of activity would be helping people through relationship transitions. So business is that a business? It doesn't really? matter what. It's just any kind name, of what kind rela- of relate. Name, give me examples of relationships. Oh, it'd be. Um, I need to transition. Help my child transition to a more uh, structured setting, such as military school. That's that would be in that category because I know how to do that. Oh, you do. Yes. How do you send somebody to military school? Well, you just call them pay. <laughs> it's what you do. Do you have to get a law degree for that? No, you don't. But mainly, it's helping people in and out of uh, relationships. Okay. Doesn't so, have to be married. Doesn't have to be anything legal, per se. So I'm going to give you some labels. You tell me if you like them or not. Okay. You're a divorce lawyer. Absolutely. You like that? I love that. You do? Why do you it, love it? Because it's very simple and straightforward and tells the uh, person who has asked the question uh, exactly what I do. Family lawyer. I'm not real big on that. Why not? It sounds too soft. You're hardened. I'm hardened. Your yes. heart is is hardened. Oh my gosh, no. People have said that, but that's not true. Who said it? Uh, I'm not going to say family, but friends <laughs> and uh, people I work with. Family didn't say because they don't talk to you? <laughs> no, they do talk to me. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Uh, all, all my children talk to me. I actually life. wrote down relationship transitional lawyer. Yes, I like that. You do like that. Yes, because it... It is the most accurate description. As a divorce lawyer, you deal in property and businesses and sort of transitioning people out of them. Breakups. Breakups. So you're a breakup lawyer. I dissolve partnerships. How do you like the term homewrecker? Um, I wouldn't say I'm that because when people come to me, the home's pretty much wrecked. It is. Okay. Revenge seeker? Oh, gosh, no. Hired gun? No. Why do you not like that one? Because the purpose is too limited. 
you know, that, that implies that you're there only to make someone feel pain or, and that's just, that would be really boring and not at all what I would consider intellectually challenging. That's pretty, that's pretty easy to do actually. It is easy to make people feel pain. Yes. What are your techniques? I don't do that. Is it ever appropriate to make them feel pain? No. no, It's not. I don't think so. Okay. So here's a little rapid fire questions. I I stole these from a magazine. Do I get any time to think about it? Or we'll see. We'll see how rapid. It's like a psychological test. What's your height? I've taken many of these. Psychological? How'd you do? Um, I surprised myself, actually. How smart are you? Oh, well. (laughs) Did they take your IQ? Not since I was in third grade. What was it then? It was not. It was pretty high. Mensa? I, I have no idea. I didn't know what Mensa was. But well, I, I did wasn't see that, your, I wasn't that smart. Because I read your uh, I read your bio, and you have Latin words after your degrees. Exactly. So you were smart. I, I did well in college. Yeah. How many people from your family went to college? For the first time on both sides, my mother's side and my father's side, my two brothers and I were the first. You're the first generation. And, and we'll, now we all have advanced degrees, all three of us. What do your brothers do? They're both teachers. Teachers, okay. They went to Ball State. They went to Ball... And you went to... IU. You grew up I in... like Ball Is State. it Dale... Dale, Daleville. Daleville. Yes. How much, What's the population of Daleville? Well, you know, when I was there... Well, I really wasn't in Daleville. Um, we, I grew up on a farm about three miles outside of Daleville. At that time, Daleville was the largest unincorporated village... In the state, it was basically a bedroom community for Anderson and Muncie, and mostly uh, related to the auto industry. That seemed to be people bought land around Daleville, built houses. It was very easy. Place your to parents in GM? Or? No, no, no. How about your wife's parents? Weren't they? Yeah, you know, my wife's father was a tool and die maker at uh, Guidelamp in Anderson. Okay. And then, how many siblings did you have? I have two brothers. Are you the youngest? I'm the middle. I, I, surely that would be obvious. very obvious to you that I'm a middle child. I just read that the youngest sibling is usually the funniest. Oh, that would be, well, not my family. No. no. Are you the sweetest? I made fun of him all of my life. but he, So I think he's funny because he's good fodder for jokes and things. You grew up on a farm. What type of farming did you do? It was primarily a dairy farm. Okay. So we milked twice a day. My morning started at 3.45 a.m., Every day, regardless of when you got to bed, uh, there were basically no rules growing up other than try not to get killed. So my parents allowed us to have pretty much free reign. Free reign. So, but you had to get up at three forty-five. Yeah, my my dad did not care how late you stayed out when you got home, just so you were there at three forty-five a.m. And did you ever miss a day? No. I heard dairy farmer is the worst job. It is. It, Why it, is that? You can't not do it. You, you, there's no vacation. There's the no cows vac- need to, to be milked. We never took vacations. And the problem was you had, at that time, and while we didn't have the money to do this, but you nobody would come in and do it for you. So you had to, if, if somebody was sick, that just meant everybody else had to do more. So you've described to me milking a cow in Indiana in February is at bad. 345. Months. Describe that for people. Well, it's very cold, and our barn wasn't heated. Our milking parlor was not. And we were pretty uh, low-tech at that time. Now, my older brother, who is still on that farm, made it much more high-tech and had a very nice facility long after I was gone. It was cold. Your hands would get... Um, Wet, obviously, and they would crack. And 
It was nasty. Did you sell the milk? Yes. I Did you personally own your cow? Yes. yes. Did you ever milk a goat? Oh gosh, yes. Did you own goats? Yes. What now, why would you why would you own a goat if you were on a dairy farm? That's a good question for you. I don't Ms. know. Mr. Alabama. Well by, by way of Canada. By way of <laughs> lots of places. So. And Northern Ireland. <laughs> So, so I don't know the answer to that. Well, a lot of times, uh, we, we you know when you milk cows, you don't want the calves because they only produce milk when after they have the calf. Mm-hmm. You know how that works. I, I've heard of You've that. Got that. Yes. Okay. And so you would not want the calf nursing the mother because then it would be milk to sell. So you would provide other. You'd have what we well I hate to use those terms, but we would have other cows that would be the like nurses for those calves. They would get um, diarrhea, and the one way you cured them is to give them goat's milk. Really? Yes. And so, so we, we always like, had nanny goats that we would milk to provide milk So that, that was like cats. the farm's Pepto-Bismol. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Right. You know, and I think people do it also. What part of the goat is the goat cheese? <laughs> I'm glad you thought that was funny. I thought that was funny, but That's I didn't know so how ridiculous. <laughs> All right, let's go back to my rapid fire. I'm not answering that one. What okay. is your height? Oh, gosh, five. I think I'm five seven or five eight. That's it? I think so. What maybe, are your heel boots, and I think I'm five eight, maybe. I think maybe at one time I was five nine. Last book read? <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know the name of it. It was about the economics of slavery in the South, which was very interesting. Favorite sports team? Do you care about sports? Uh, yes, I do like the Colts. You like the Colts? Yes. Why is that? It's just interesting. Okay. They're local. They're local. Turn-ons? Uh, food. You like food? Yes. What's your favorite restaurant? I'm kind of searching at the moment. What in the past, what has been your favorite? Well, long-time favorite was H2O Sushi, which is yes. no longer, and I loved it. It was part of our family, and everybody there part of our family, but it's gone. And so you've been Yukio. searching. I do like Yukio. It's Neil Brown's place. Yeah. Turn off. Angry people. And that boring you, people. So are you turned off by your daily work? Let's just say it doesn't turn me on. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of angry food. Favorite food to cook? Italian. Italian? Mm-hmm. Favorite dinner guest? Uh, besides James Bell, the renowned James Bell. Uh, family. Family. Mm-hmm. Let's describe what you're wearing today. You have frosted hair. Nobody I don't. Can see I, you. No, I don't. Shoulder that, that length. Is, that is, is the, it shoulder no, length. That was a phase. Rods. Okay, tell us about that phase. That hair phase well, where you had sort of a Rod Stewart thing going without the hairspray. Yes. Um, I don't know really where that came from, but I think it started when I decided to lighten my hair, and um, my hairdresser uh, went crazy with the bleach and burnt my scalp, which oh my then God. my hair was orange for it. But it really wasn't orange. It was just the orange of my scalp on the hair. So that's what kind of started to get it away from my scalp. You think that's what happened to our president? <laughs> His is a different color. One. It is. And I understand that is uh, hair for men. What is it for men? Just for men. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that it's darker at times if he leaves it in longer. Correct. If he's impatient, it yes. gets brown. I've never used that. I've gone professional. You've gone professional? Yeah. I see. I'm just going gray here. Yeah. So... First time I met you, now you taught my bar review. Oh, you did? Yes. Okay. And I passed that exam, oh, by the way. So thank you for you're all right. you did. But uh, And Kevin Betts had a <clears throat> bar yes. review course, uh-huh. and you, Judge Altai, Judge yes. Bainus Stinson, right. so right. all-star lineup. 
but the first time I met you, I had just joined Bingham McHale, and yes. the management committee came in to meet with us, and you were on the management committee. How and did that happen? How did you get on the management yes, how committee? How did that happen? I've been actually wondering that myself, <laughs> but I thought that would be a two-hour discussion. You had, I think, like snakeskin boots on that day, oh, maybe yeah. spurs, I don't know. No, no spurs. Butterfly collar. Yes. Uh, long hair. Yes. And you're sitting there with Toby. Who's dressed the exact opposite? I oh think it's the most boring, boring clothing. Yes, Brooks Brothers, I would say. I I think it's no, I think it's that good. And we did a little contest at Bingham, like we did a sort of trivia, but it had a little Family Feud, and we had a poll about who's the best and worst dresser, and mm-hmm. you won both. <laughs> I'm not surprised. It so, was controversial. Here is my vision. When I grew up, I grew up in Birmingham, and one is of that my in the states. That is, it, it wouldn't. Some parts of Alabama would like to not be part of it. There was a divorce lawyer mm-hmm. in town whose son was my friend. I played athletics with and went to school with. And it was always if somebody was getting a divorce, it was the race to Jerry Durward's office. Who, whatever spouse got there first, got a better deal. Or so they thought. Or so they thought. Perception and, is everything. I taught that, you that. Yes. Well, he had the perception mm-hmm. that he got it done. And he's the nicest guy still around. I think he's 83 years old, was president of the Birmingham Bar. But I saw him in court, and he did not smile. He was an angry person, I would say, objecting to everything. This is the 80s, 90s. Different style. A different style. And so my vision of a divorce lawyer before I became a lawyer was not a guy with a butterfly collar. Oh, okay. I got it. So Jerry Durward reminds me of what I hear Jim Buck was like. Am I Mm -hmm. correct on that? Yeah, Jim Buck was uh, a legend, obviously. And he was your mentor. He was by far my most influence on me as a practitioner and as a person even. In many ways, he was much more like my father than my father because, you know, at that point in my life, kind of defining who I was was when I was with Jim. Mm-hmm. And and a good mentor, I think, not only gives you, you know, good things that you should do, but also teaches you in a safe way things you should excuse me shouldn't do so i was able to define the way i thought i wanted to practice and the kind of lawyer that i wanted to be given that opportunity to be in a very close practice with jim what are the good things jim taught you uh jim jim was very good about you know if you you were always straight up with people I think that's important, especially in, in that area of the of the straightforward. Practice. Straightforward, you know, you don't back down. You know, you stay stay in it till the end, no matter what. And he was very good with making clients feel comfortable, and I think that's an important part too. Have and have faith and trust in them. What things did you learn? Hey, I don't want to do this part. I don't want to pick well, up his style this way. Yeah, at that, at that time, there was a lot of chest beating and um, one-upsmanship and, and um, you know, just didn't seem to be real productive. Also, I think, again, it was just a time period that the divorce lawyers tended to be more paternalistic than, than I think clients at that, you know, we're kind of moving into a different era, era uh, wanted it to be. Worked for some people, you know, kind of this white knight. And I knew that I had no desire to be a white knight. I think that sets up expectations that are impossible to me. Mm-hmm. So you, so you start practicing in 1983. Yes, but I had I had clerked with Jim before then. Okay, 
So in 83, I'm in third grade, by the way. <laughs> and did you pass? Uh, actually, <laughs> funny you should ask. I like third grade so much, I took it twice. Yes. I, I took other classes That's a critical, twice. Critical year. Well, I handwriting. Uh huh. Yes, I see. Okay. okay. So, how much did you settle case or did you try everything? You pretty much tried everything. Okay. Is that part of his style? I mean, if you have well, to that, try everything, you might. Yes. Your style. And, and so. If you're taking that part of his style out of things, just being the white knight and, and you know, there was I don't a want show. To, yeah, there was there a show. Was a show. Well, you, and you, the trial's were, a show, right? You were a performer. Well, and I, yeah. that day I saw Jerry Durward, he was performing. Yes, yes. it was. And, I, and I'm sitting with the judge who's just smiling, yeah. and I think he probably made up his mind, but I bet the client liked all the objections yes. and, the, and the comments. And that was your, that's who you were against. I mean, these were all showmen. Show, showmen and women, yes. Mainly showman. Men no, there are, were actually, in that world, there were probably, what, six lawyers who were of that stature, and three of them were women. Okay. That's pretty who cool. are they? Who, who are the... Do you remember that group? Who? Molly. You mean the women? Yeah. Molly Wrecker, Gail Phelps, and Evelyn Pitchkey. Okay. And those were sort of the, the well, first tier... Well, yes, yes. Now, there are other good women, but not as a steady diet. Okay. You know, we've had, those, were, those were three that, that we were involved with a lot. How has di- the divorce practice changed since 1983? Well, you don't have trials, rarely, especially if there are significant issues and assets involved. Kind of like the bigger, the more complicated the marital state, the less likely it is you'll have a trial. Just too much risk? Or? Too much risk. And just doesn't make a lot of economic sense, especially when there are other ways of resolving it. I mean, back then, when I started, you didn't have mediation. That was not even a thing. thought that you could do that. I mean, the thought of actually trying to somewhat cooperate and try to work toward a settlement uh, is not how that world worked. It was push people into either settling or you go to trial. How else has it changed? Um, I think it's uh, the client expectations are much, much different. Higher um, or lower? Well, or they're diff- different. They're different. You have clients who are much more sophisticated about the law. They're much more sophisticated about finances. They're much more sophisticated about what a professional relationship should be, and I think that is, is so different from all it was when I first started. What should a person look for when they're looking for a divorce lawyer? I'm asking for my wife. <laughs> I've already talked to her. Okay. <laughs> it's a solid relationship. It is. Well, I'm glad she has some friends. What I tell people is that you need to be comfortable with your divorce lawyer, and some of it is um, about style and personality. If uh, you can, you know, if, if someone is qualified, meaning that they have the training, experience, and expertise to do a good job, you know, it could be anybody. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna be with that lawyer for the life of a case, which can be several months to a number of years, it would make sense to have somebody that you can, uh, you know, that's it's an easy relationship. You know, someone you trust a, and connect with, correct. at least on some level. Yes, they're not your counselor, technical counselor. Uh, they're not your parent. They're not your f- best friend. So I, you, know, you have to walk over those fine lines. When you say the white knight, is that different? Did, did Jim Buck have a different style in that area? Oh, absolutely. 
he was yes. their buddy. Well, he he was there to save them from their spouse. Okay. I think that, and he wasn't alone in that. I mean, that was typically the women did it too. I mean, that was just the way you practiced. You become your client a little bit. Correct. John Green gave a valedictorian speech, or not a valedictorian speech, but a graduation commencement speech at Butler, where he talked about the importance of empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think you almost freaked out when I told you, "You're like empathy." <laughs> Because you're kind of just to get a reaction. Well, okay. Well, but it's like you set up. You 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 said sympathy is important. Empathy. There's a difference. There's a line there a somewhere between there. So what's that line? Well, you can't. You're not that person, and you can understand and appreciate, and you can even you know feel sympathy if it's you know if it's a relationship ending that really has nothing to do with the law, but it you can understand their circumstance. But the moment you cross over to having their feelings, that's a problem. So when, Atticus, a thing, yeah. so when Atticus Finch says walking around and skin, you know, Tom Robinson's skin, that's a problem, right? That's a problem. You've become your client. You can be an observer of it. And, and appreciate understand it. Understand it. And then use that, but you can't be that. That's and, a big, big And have you seen lawyers do that? Oh, absolutely. And what happens? Young lawyers especially. Lawyers that kind of get sucked into the way the client use the world and you got to think you know most clients they can't help it but um you know their judgment and perspective is probably a little off when they're going through a divorce um, or a family problem like that so they're not people that you should trust their view of the world especially if you have to end up in court with them or in court setting with them. where you're telling them what to do yes. sometimes well they always make the decision i never tell them what to do I make recommendations. I explain why it's a good or a bad uh, course of conduct. But ultimately, it's their decision. I remember you referring me a case, and I'm making sure I don't reveal don't, anything. Don't, don't reveal anything. But I remember thinking, whatever I did, I reported back to you. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it went okay, but not great. That's what, the, without getting into detail, I just remember, well, you got it done. <laughs> You were sort of like, <laughs> we're moving on. We're moving on. And that, that is so important because yeah. if you can't move on, you, you have to bring finality or you, whatever the issue is or whatever the circumstance is so that you can go on. And if you can't go on, it's going to be a very frustrating and difficult relationship. I think that was the first time I worked with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wanted to impress you. You're the management guy. And you had sort of said, hey, handle this. And I remember thinking it went okay. It, you know, and, I'm not big on, you know. Saying, oh, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I had to be taught that. You Who taught you that? My wife. <laughs> but you were like, I, I was like, he's it. going to be mad. And you're like, I don't care. <laughs> well, turn the page. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, is that part of divorce practice? Well, that's part of me. Is Well, it's hard to win. Well, it's hard to walk away and say, I won that one, right? Yeah, I gave up that. That concept. that concept was much more around when I was first starting. I mean, we had that whole white knight world. Okay. There were winners and losers. And now it's just getting it done. Well, you've got to get it done in a way that makes sense and that doesn't destroy people if you can help it. Uh, sometimes you can't help it, but um, it's. A, I think it's a much more positive experience than it was back when it started. I, um, and I'm not that old. You're not that. How old are you? How old do you think I am? Uh, I'm going to guess Be careful. that you are... You probably looked up my birthday. I didn't. Um, you know, I can't do math. So I failed for grade. 62. 
You're six. I was going to say sixty three, but that would have been gas. Not well, I will be sixty three. You when you're sixty two, you hope to get sixty three. When I became a criminal defense lawyer, a lot of people said, or I wanted to be one. And people, well, you'll be hanging out with those dangerous people. Mm-hmm. And I've yet to find the criminal defense lawyer that's been threatened by their client or anything mm-hmm. like that. Every divorce lawyer. How many times have you been threatened? I've been spat on three times. Today? No, twice in the face, which that was not pleasant. What year was that? Uh, The last time was probably (laughs) 10 years ago. Okay, well, that's good. We're less spitting these days. Yeah, less spitting. Um, I haven't haven't been threatened for a long time. Okay. That I know of. That you know of. So I'm, am I off on that, that you're in danger sometimes because you're I, dealing with very, volatile people? I'm very careful. Let's put it that way. I, you know, I think part of it also is just, again, describing that style, is that I don't go into cases looking to make the other side hate me. You know, that's just not even a thought. You know, I have a job to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a job to represent my client to, the, you know, to my best ability and to get the best result for them. It may not be exactly what they want, but the best result given the circumstances and the law and all that kind of thing. So I, it's not, I'm not there to stir up trouble. Now, sometimes it happens, especially if you're dealing with people who are mentally ill, and I've become a pretty good assessor of, of significant mental You're illness. an amateur uh, <laughs> yeah. psychologist. Well, from a safety standpoint, I know the personality types that I need to be worried about. And do you get off those cases? Yes. or Typically, I... You know, once I figure out that's a problem, if it's my own client, then we make a transition. Another relationship yes, transition. We transition to someone more better suited for that. It's March eighth. How many motions to withdraw have you filed this year? I filed two in one day. How good did you feel? Fantastic. I have never been. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I and I've not often, but I've won at the court of appeals, and I've won jury trials, and. There's something good about a motion of withdrawal being granted. Yes. It's like, thank you, judge. Yes. It shuts the door and you keep... You, know, it, you transition that relationship. Yes. yes. All right. So you've worked... You've had your own firm. You've yes. ran Jim Reed and Associates or Reed and Associates. Well, it was, I was shared space with a couple uh, law school classmates. Okay. And then... Well, we had separate practices. And then you worked at a small firm, Buck, Barry... That was the first. Stipe. Yeah. You know, half the, it's like a... Randolph, Runig, and Quinn. Yes, but an in, in REM is Buck, Barry, Stipe, and Mills, I think. Oh, I Did you know that? Yeah, so I Buck Barry, every time I saw yeah. Buck Barry, I thought of oh, Athens, wow. Georgia, and REM. And then, of course, you're at a big firm. Yes. What does a small firm do well? What does a big firm do well? What does a medium firm do well? Well, I think the most important, if you look at the business of practicing law, which is very, very important, um, having your own practice, your own firm, you learn how to make the economics work. And when you walk into a large firm, it gives you an advantage because, um, forgive me all the people who are in large firms, but if you've always been in that environment, you've never really had figured out exactly how how the economics work. And you get it. So I get it. I got because you've been there. One. Yes, I know how to collect and that kind of thing. How has and how to assess clients that can pay? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a bit? I mean, like I remember talking when I first got to Bingham when I said retainer to somebody. Like, What's a retainer? Mm-hmm. People, big firms, they don't charge retainers. They trust well, their they, clients. They do more now. They do. Okay. Yeah. 
What's the role of support staff? How has that changed over the years? Well, when I first started, um, it was with Jim Buck, and, and he had a longtime assistant, and she ran everything. I mean, she was, you know, you, you had to negotiate everything with her. So if you wanted your stuff typed, if you wanted your dictation done, it, you had to make sure that, because they were everything. I mean, you couldn't produce without your assistant. And so they had a great deal of, of power and power. And, uh, and you see that with very successful lawyers had extremely good legal assistants, legal secretaries, whatever you want to call it. Back then it was legal secretary. Mm-hmm. And I remember with, um, when I worked with Jim, he was one of the first in a smaller context to have word processing. He had a, a Wang system. Oh, <laughs> You can't say that word it's without laughing. laughing. It's very What funny. kind of system was it? Wang. <laughs> and then you <laughs> And so it it was amazing. And again everything had to be adjusted for that. And and now as as you progress, you know, in technology, technology is everything now in that that area. And so the role of a support person has changed and people who were good old-time legal secretaries, very few of them transitioned to this. this so that relationship job. did not transition? Well, I don't know. You know, I, I left, and, and she was still there many years later. Kevin McGough, who's a friend of yours, yes. a friend of mine, always sort of ranked how good a guy you were by how long your secretary stayed <laughs> with you. <laughs> like, well, I've had a sec. My secretary's been with me for 12 years. I mean, you go through like four a year. By the McGough Index, you were like the worst person. Right. Yes. Oh, yes. That's true. That is true. You're, you're not going to justify that. No. Well, no, I thought I, that you'd have some excuse or no, it's not well, them. It's me. It's me. It's them. Oh, it's never me. What is harder, practice of law or farming? Well, let me tell you, the working conditions of practicing law are immensely better. <laughs> just take, being able to sleep. Just being able to have not cold hands, and, and uh, it's much safer. The farms are very dangerous places. Getting kicked or... Kicked, stepped on equipment. Rolled I over. A lot of people when I was growing up that didn't have hands or lost arms because of augers and conveyor belts and things like that. So it's you, a this very is, dangerous, dangerous place. So this is vacation This you. is... You Air know, conditioning in July. It's true. I mean, I, in I December. Have, I have said this to people, and this makes me sound old, but, you know, if you look at what I did growing up versus what I do now, it's a cakewalk now. Do your friends from Daleville think you're soft? I don't know. You know, I really haven't kept up with them. Do you have Not my family. Probably my extended family think that you're soft. Yeah. yeah. Oh, How do you feel about that? Oh, I don't care. You are. You're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I am. This is Whatever. pretty good. Yeah. Last question. What was the word processing system called? Wang. Okay. <laughs> it's like, that was second to last. What would you change about the practice of law if you could? Well, I think the practice of law changes on its own. And either you adapt and and capitalize on it or you get left behind. Has so, it gotten better since 1983? Yes. In what way? I think people are, are uh, more realistic. Um, I think that it's... It's not this whole separate class that it was when I started out. And I think before then it was even more so. Lawyers are real people. 
if I think people perceive and sometimes too much about the limitations of what you can do. Um, I think I think I'm pretty realistic with people about what's possible and what's not. So a big part of, of how I work with people is to try to get their expectations more in line with what reality is. And so sometimes that's a so the clients have gotten better. Clients have gotten better. That's interesting. Okay. I like I like sophisticated, intelligent, worldly people. As so clients. maybe your clients have gotten better. That could be it. Anything else you'd like to say? Oh, you look wonderful today. Thank you. Well, you look you great look, too. Great job. You great. seem very happy. To I be am. Here. I am. You know, I love this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I was like, who? I, I keep having people say they want to do this. Yes. And then. They cancel or they postpone or whatever, and I'm like, they I'll be they, here tomorrow if you. Can. Yeah, right. I'm like, who? I need somebody who wants, who seeks attention even more than I do, and you're the first guy that came to mind. I would say we're probably on par. You think? Yeah. See, I think we're different because I seek positive attention. I just seek attention. You seek <laughs> negative and positive to any attention as long as it's being given to you. You think that's because you're a middle child? Probably. So there you are now. I'd like to give a special thanks to Mary Kay Price for being the off-the-record producer, and I'd like to thank Jim Reed for his time and for teaching me about the hidden powers of goat milk and for making me long for the days of the Wang word processor. So that's a wrap for this episode. As our lineup is constantly changing, I am actually not sure who will be our guest next time, but I'm grateful you joined us, and I hope you will join us next time. This has been a production of the Indianapolis Bar Association.